Continuing with our off-season podcast plan, we're back with some more, a lot of transactions from around baseball. We'll do some more mock drafting, round six and seven of our head-to-head mock draft that we've been going through each and every podcast. It's Tuesday, January 17th. We've got big news on Victor Martinez, Michael Pineda on the move. Carlos Zambrano, we kind of skipped over him last time, but we have to talk about that man and his role with the Marlins. Send us an email, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Put podcast in the subject line, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Follow us on Twitter at cbsscottwhite, at almelk, M-E-L-C, C-B-S, and at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R. Okay, here we go, guys. How you doing? Scott, what's up? I'm doing fine, Adam. Are you? Not as good as you after no. another Giants yeah. win this weekend. Kind of bouncing off the walls right now. But you dissed them before we got on the show, and you were like, they don't deserve to be there. They yeah. suck. I, I get a little annoyed when 9-7 and seven teams are in the conference championship game. That just doesn't seem like they belong. I mean, I understand they won the two hardest games to get there, but... They're playing it, so it well just makes, right now. It just makes the you know, regular Falcons season. fan. Well, I just, so, yeah, I was going to say, I just figured out Scott's angle here. It's that the Falcons <laughs> aren't in the game. Yeah, That's the know, problem. The Falcons were no match for the Mighty Giants. But it's baseball time, guys. So what do we know about Victor Martinez right now? Again, it's Tuesday, January 17th, and really just before we started recording, we saw the news... Likely out for the year with a torn ACL, Al? That is correct. And uh, this is something he just did just during his routine off-season workouts because this is not the kind of news you usually get in the middle of January. So what does this mean fantasy-wise? Fantasy-wise, well, first of all, we do have to stay tuned. I don't see how he doesn't miss the season with this injury. Uh, we'll, I would think likely, uh, to say the least, need surgery. But assuming he's out for the year, that certainly raises the stock of every other top catcher. So, uh, you know, guys like maybe Joe Maurer or Buster Posey, who you might be a little uncertain about coming off of uh, seasons shortened by injury, their stock goes up a little bit. Somebody like Alex Avila, who actually is getting the full-time catching reps for Detroit while V-Mart was going to go to DH, he gets a, a little bump. I think that's your biggest fantasy impact. And then you've got a, a sort of a collateral uh, effect here of whoever takes those DH at bats uh, with Martinez out. Uh, that person obviously would get a bump, whether it's going to be an internal candidate like Andy Dirks or somebody like uh, before we were on the air here, Scott suggested maybe Johnny Damon. Uh, you know, it remains to be seen, but that's something that you have, you have to watch out for. There's going to be a fight, fight over who is the number 12 catcher in fantasy now, <laughs> meaning a, a starting catcher. Um, because it was Russell Martin. I had Wilson Ramos at 13th, which would make him a starting catcher in standard fantasy leagues now. But I don't think Al Melchior agrees with that. I think he has J.P. Aaron Sibia as his number 13. Which no, would be actually, number I got the cutoff under him, so that would make Yadier Molina Mr. Oh, Mr. Well, he was relevant. already there for me. Yeah, He was number 11. Well, yeah, you got a cluster there. I've got Ramos right under that. I got Soto right there, too, so... And sort yeah. of interesting, if you go down a little bit further, Devin Messerocco maybe becomes a little more relevant. Yeah. Hmm. They just signed uh, oh, they signed uh, Navarro. Navarro. Yeah, that doesn't... And you know how Dusty Baker feels about the veterans versus the rookies. He's like, give me the old Even guy. the bad veterans? That even don't if, ever, even if he hit, hits two That we're at their welcome at every stop. I don't care. He's better than Devin Messerocco because I've never seen Devin Messerocco play before. So naturally, that's the assumption. You, you, you know what else this means, this Victor Martinez injury? We're missing out on his last year of catcher eligibility, most likely. Uh, 
might come back as a DH only guy since it looked like that's what he was going to be full time now. So, so that's that means sad. that a keeper league, yeah, that you might be done keeping Victor Martinez. Interesting. Okay, let's talk about that big trade between the Yankees and the Mariners. Michael Pineda and Hiroki Kuroda separately. Uh, they're Yankees. Kuroda signed as a free agent, but Pineda traded to the Yankees, and Jesus Montero, the catcher, and Hector Noesi, a starting pitcher, go to the Mariners. Let's talk about Pineda. His road ERA, Al, a little bit shy of four five zero, right, in the 440s? Yeah, I think it was 440 exactly uh, in his rookie season. So. so, yeah, what do you think about his value now, up, down, or the same? See, I think it's about the same, and I do expect the ERA to rise. I think the whip is going to go up, too. He's going to give up a few extra home runs pitching in Yankee Stadium for his home games instead of Safeco Field. But uh, he's going to get a lot more run support, too. So, uh, you know, and, and probably a few more innings as well. So I think on balance, maybe a slight upward tick in value, but I'd say nothing significant. Same guy you expected him to be when you thought he was going to pitch for the Mariners this year. I can't help but be a lot more excited about him than I was before the trade. I only moved him up a couple spots in my rankings. Yeah, from, where is he? From 25 right now, to 23, okay. um, which would put him behind Ricky Romero ahead of Josh Beckett for me. A little and risky, though. Not as just, risky. You know, he hasn't really proven it yet. He's had I one good year. I think he's proven it. I think at one good year, yeah, but it, I'm not was, it was I'm his just... rookie year. It was after you know dominant minor league numbers. And, and the most impressive thing to me about Michael Pineda is for someone so young and with such electric stuff, his strikeout-to-walk ratio is – it was 29th in the majors last year. And of the 28 pitchers ahead of him, only four had a higher strikeout rate. And those four were Cliff Lee, Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, and Anibal Sanchez. So that tells me two things. Michael Pineda is on his way to being an ace, which he now has you know, the supporting cast to make that happen. And two... We're severely underestimating Anibal Sanchez <laughs> since he was one of those uh, four ahead of him. Okay, what about Hiroki Kuroda, Scott? Value up, down, or the same as he goes from the NL West to the AL East? I, I guess I'd have to say his value is up, too. Um, it, it scares me. That move scares me a little more for him because, obviously, he's facing some loaded lineups there in the East, and his stuff isn't as overpowering as Pineda is, so I think that makes him more susceptible to uh, to high-powered offenses. Um, and and plus, I mean, he's late 30s, so you got to expect yeah. some kind of drop-off there. But, obviously, being on the Yankees, um, as opposed to not having a team looking like he might go back to Japan earlier this offseason. Yeah, it's certainly better to be yeah, on a I team. Mean, yeah, I mean, this, this makes him, I think, definitely a guy you're going to draft in mixed leagues now. And, Al, before we go to the Mariners and Montero and Noesi, what do you think about the rest of the Yankees' rotation now? You've got Burnett, you've got Garcia, you've got Hughes, and two spots, it seems. So what do you think? Yeah, well, I think Nova is, is safe. Uh, he's oh, curly. Nova, right. So really one spot for those guys, unless because you're talking about Sabathia, Pineda, right. Kuroda, and Nova. And then you've got Burnett, Hughes, and Freddie Garcia. Garcia, three guys battling for one spot. And there was an interesting story that came out uh, this morning that, uh, I mean, the, the gist of the story was don't count 
Michael Pineda in as the number two guy. The Yankees want to see him get a little more experience, but sort of buried uh, in the article was, you know, A.J. Burnett is somebody who's considered still a part of that mix for the number two guy. Mm. So, you know, a lot of conflicting stuff. They tried to trade him this offseason with no success there. Uh, they clearly have given him a lot of opportunities, you know, to turn things around the last year or two, and, and he hasn't. So he seems to be the most vulnerable guy out of that trio. I mean, they signed Freddie Garcia. You know, it was not just that they're stuck with the contract. They re-signed him yeah. to be in that rotation. Phil Hughes, you know, maybe he goes back to the bullpen. Maybe he works his way into the rotation somehow. But Burnett, to me, is the most vulnerable, excuse me, vulnerable guy still out of that mix. I, yeah, I think Hughes is going to be starting. I, I still think he's he's got a big bounce-back season in him, and I still think the Yankees don't want to give up on that upside. He has. I, you know, he started off with, uh, what was it, the shoulder injury costing him velocity at the beginning of last year, but uh, looked much different in the second half and has been focused this offseason on getting back but getting back on track, and I think the Yankees really want to give him that chance. So now with Victor Martinez likely out for the year, Jesus Montero going to the Mariners. Is he going to be their catcher, first of all? And and what you know, what kind of value does he have? Is he a guy that if you need a catcher that you might be able to steal him a little bit later? Well, he's. I think you add him to the list of guys who get a little bit of bump with Vmart out, um, and he would have been a mix, a standard mixed league option anyway. So um, the trade, I think, if anything, is maybe a little bit of good news for him because I think it just cements his at bats even more. So I think he'll see more time behind the plate, maybe yeah. than he would have seen in New York. But he's going to get a lot of DH at bats in Seattle. So um, yeah, I, I yeah. agree. They they got him to be a focal point of their lineup. It's it's there. There was the chance that he could miss some games here and there with the Yankees, or even if he fell into a slump, get removed from the lineup for a week or two at a time. It, the the Mariners didn't trade their number two starter, a, a long-term ace, to get um, you know a, a platoon DH. It, Jose, Jesus Montero is, is the main part of their lineup. Is he going to be able to produce, though? Because yeah. you're going to Safeco here. I, I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I mean, obviously, it's a big park. It, it's It's not going to be friendly to him the way Yankee Stadium would have been but just watching this guy last year the four home runs he hit I think three of them were the opposite field and I, I, I happened to catch two of them they were distant shots to right field and and just the way he swings it, it was such an easy stroke and he killed it yeah I mean this guy has crazy power and I, I don't think Safeco is going to be able to stifle it Hector Noesi any value there um, AL only, and I wouldn't totally discount it. I mean, he's the kind of pitcher that they really do seem to like. I mean, a really good control pitcher, uh, you know, sort of Fister-esque, uh, to put it that way. So, um, you know, he'll slot in the, probably the number four, number five spot in the rotation to start the season. But I think even more interesting, a lot more interesting than that, is that they've got a lot of good pitching coming up through the pipeline. And what this trade says to me, it's a signal, a very strong signal, that they think that guys like Danny Holson and James Paxton are ready. So, um, you know, I think look for Holtzen to join that rotation probably by midseason. You know, maybe it's somebody like Noesi or, or Bevan that, that has to give way. But, um, you know, those high-end guys, particularly uh, Paxton and Holtzen, uh, are, are they're going to be forces to contend with in fantasy. You as a Yankees fan, Adam Azer, had you been reading the stuff Brian Cashman had been saying all offseason about Noesi? Well, he sees him as a starter. He wants him in the rotation long term. He's going to have to find a way to get him in there. It wasn't going to happen this year, I didn't think. That sneaky devil. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) 
I like the trade for the Yankees. I think it's, this could be a trade that hopefully works out well for, for both teams. Hopefully. Although it's a lot of times those Yankee prospects go other places and they're not nearly as good as we thought. Um, anyway, Carlos Zambrano. Now, how long before Zambrano and Ozzie Guillen get into some type of fist fight in the dugout? Well, we discussed this, and I put the, the over-under on May 15th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll give him a little longer. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe See, I thought I was being conservative. Maybe, maybe the change of scenery works for him. I know that he and Guillen are friends. Zambrano and Guillen are friends, whatever. Um is there any potential here for a bounce back for Carlos Zambrano? I, I think you can't eliminate the possibility of a bounce back for Zambrano. That being said, I'm not particularly optimistic of one. He He's not, you know, his velocity has been dropping consistently over the years. He's always had problems with walks. And I feel like even the Zambrano who we knew of being a great pitcher, we considered him, you know, one of the best pitchers in the NL that was at a time when you know people were hitting 40 45 home runs routinely all the numbers all the offensive numbers were up around the league and and you could get by with his so-so whip because he was one of those guys who pitched deep into games and had an ERA below 4 but now you know producing an ERA below 4 with a so-so strikeout rate it's not good enough to rank among the mixed league viable pitchers with the the current state of um, offense and, and baseball. Al Melchior, Ryan Madsen goes to the Reds, a one-year deal, saved 32 games last season, had a 2.37 ERA. Thoughts on Madsen this year? My thought when I saw that signing was hallelujah. Uh, I was really <laughs> happy to see that because when it looked like the, the closer market was drying up, that is the buyer's market, mm-hmm. um, that uh, you know he may have to resort to uh, some setup situation somewhere. I just thought, what a waste! You wanted to see him get his money. I wanted to see him get his money. <laughs> I, I wanted to see fantasy owners get a good closer. You know, have that yeah. option available to him. What a waste it would have been in fantasy for him to not be getting saves. So uh, you know, I think that's a, a terrific uh, development for him uh, for the Reds. You but know, what kind of closer is he now for you in your eyes, fantasy wise? Uh, number one, I'd say uh, mid to low range. Number one. Uh, relief pitcher in, in mixed leagues. And the A's stayed busy acquiring Ryan Ludwig. Any chance that he can be relevant for Cincinnati? Oh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Ludwig. I mean, it's certainly better to hit there than yeah. it is to hit at Petco, yeah. but at the same time, we haven't seen a, a you know mixed league viable season from Ludwig since, I don't know, 2008? When was it? I think that's right. Yeah. 2008, so, yeah. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it is Dusty Baker, so maybe he'll go with the established guy. But they do seem, from all indications this offseason, to be committed to Chris Heisey as the regular left fielder. I'm not even sure there's really going to be many at-bats there for Ludwig. So the A's, I think the A's gave up a little too much here with giving up Guillermo Moscoso and Josh Altman to get Seth Smith. Um, your thoughts here. Both Moscoso and Altman had... Sub four ERAs, Moscoso 3.38 last year, Outman 3.70. And I don't know, Seth Smith was a platoon player last year. Um, uh, I, I was not I was kind of surprised that they gave up two somewhat decent pitchers. See, that's funny. I, I will take the exact opposite position here, that I don't know what the Rockies are doing this offseason. It's making no sense to me. Okay. I, I know they wanted to unload. They've wanted to unload Seth Smith for at least a couple of years. Um, they finally did it. The return they got, look, in a different ballpark, maybe it would be better, but these are the wrong guys. Moscoso especially is the wrong guy for Coors Field, one of the most extreme fly ball pitchers in baseball. 
Um, I don't understand that. And that's adding him to a staff now that also has Kevin Slowey, who's another candidate for one of the most <laughs> extreme fly ball pitchers. So they should just go out and get Ted Lilly, you know, get Chris Young and get him healthy and just, you know, give up, uh, you know, 400 home runs next year. So I don't know what the Rockies were doing. And meanwhile, the A's, well, even if you think it wasn't necessarily even straight up in terms of value, which I actually think it is, um, they dealt from a position of strength. They got acquired a lot of good young pitching this off season. They've dealt a couple of arms that I think are yeah, question marks, Smith. and they and they they bolstered their offense. Which, granted, it doesn't take much to bolster the A's offense, but they filled a need and they gave up, uh, you know, a position in an area where they had plenty to give up. I understand your point about Seth Smith, though. Adam uh, seems like he was a hot name in the rumor mill all off season, and and I just don't see him being a starting caliber bat in the majors. He's a platoon guy and a platoon guy going from Colorado to Oakland. I don't see that being at all a favorable scenario for fantasy owners. I don't know that, I don't know that Smith is going to hold up there. That's a really tough place to hit. The The athletics have been stockpiling outfielders kind of like they have been young arms. And, and I think, uh, I think it's possible that despite what the Rockies gave up, Smith could end up getting lost in the shuffle there. Now, are any of these guys mixed league players? Seth Smith, Moscoso, Outman. I think Smith, maybe. I have the same concerns that Scott has. Uh, I think while Smith, certainly, and anybody that moves from Colorado to Oakland is going to lose some power numbers, uh, I think he's going to gain in terms of playing time. So I think he could be a fringe yeah, uh, we'll standard see. mixed league guy. We'll see. We I, will I see. Mean, they, they've got uh, Josh Reddick, who they acquired. Uh, they, they brought back Coco Crisp. Mm-hmm. They still have Chris Carter and uh, Michael Taylor hanging around in the upper, upper levels of the minors. And, and I think they just signed someone recently, um, two of the of kind of the same class of outfielder, a guy who is just barely good enough to start for most teams. They acquired Colin Cowgill this offseason. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a long list of players like that who they – they, they've added to their roster. And, and, you know, maybe their plan is to go super platoon out there. Um, but even if that's the case, I'm not sure that's going to mean any kind of gain in at-bats for Seth Smith. Before we do the mock draft round six and seven, one more move to talk about here. The Cubs get Anthony Rizzo, first baseman, and Zach Cates, right-handed pitcher for pitcher Andrew Kashner and minor league outfielder Kyungmin Na. So I hope I pronounced that properly. Really, Rizzo here would be the big name, and Kashner going from the Cubs to the Padres. So from the Cubs' perspective, Scott, what do you think about this deal? I love it. I love it for for the Cubs, getting an elite prospect without giving one up. And uh, I love it for fantasy owners because Rizzo is a guy I was down on all last year. Every time we talked about him, I said, don't bother with this guy. He's a left-handed hitter at Petco Park, and he's too young. Well, he's still pretty young, but going from Petco Park to Wrigley Field uh, obviously eliminates any concerns about the bad ballpark, and and I think Rizzo's going to live up to his 30-homer potential now once his time comes. Now, his time's not going to come right away, I don't think. Uh, Theo Epstein has already endorsed Brian LaHare, who's uh, kind of a minor league journeyman, quadruple-A-type player, as the team's... As the team's starting first baseman to begin the season. Cubs fans must be psyched about that. Well, I, I don't want to completely dismiss LaHare because you look at his, his numbers and they are impressive. Um, last year in the minors, I think he had 331 with 38 homers at AAA Iowa. 
Now, we've seen Jake Fox do something similar at AAA Iowa, so I don't know that it really means anything. But I think uh, the Cubs are right to give him a chance, and certainly if you play in an NL-only league, it's worth giving LaHare a chance. Al, can you look up his bio, LaHare? Surely. I think, I, I think he went to UF. Did he go to UF? I don't know. He was with Seattle before the Cubs. Got Check us. it out, because if he went to UF, I have to hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but, anyway, continue. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's more likely than not he'll end up another Kila Kaihue. I just want another opportunity to say that nice. name. You nailed it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I think. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, you you got to give him a look in an AL only league. Eventually, NL though, only. it's going to be Rizzo's job. NL only league. Yeah, LaHare, NL only. Yeah, you said AL only. Oh. Andrew Kashner, does he have uh, any value? Um. I'm going to say not right away. I think they're probably going to use him out of the pen for at first just because that's where the Cubs were using him. It's possible he could become a starter down the line, but the Padres don't have an opening in their rotation right now, and they've got a lot of arms coming up, so I'm not sure they ever will. So I don't know. Well, then why would they just give away Rizzo? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I'm still trying to figure out. Josh Burns has been, uh, that's the Padres GM, has been an enigma all offseason. He swings a great deal like he did uh, getting the package he got for Latos, but then he does things like acquire, uh, you know, make this trade. Um, the Carlos Quentin one was a good one, but then he made a, another ugly one involving... Hmm. Did, I'm sorry. Well, I was looking at things well, up. I don't anyway, know if you talked he's, about he's, it. He's had an up and, already, yeah, he did. He's had an up okay. and down off season. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. It was LaHare, right? You wanted? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, College St. Petersburg Community uh, College. Right state. Know. All right. Then I love him. <laughs> he's great. I'm rooting for him. He's a guy. Moving on to the – oh, wait. Do we have Jamie Moyer news? We do. Yes. We do. Love so. It. There may still be, in 2012, somebody in Major League Baseball who's older than me. <laughs> he has a minor league offer from the Rockies – uh, as of this taping, he has not accepted it yet, but he could be in the mix there to give up home runs in Coors Field along with Guillermo Moscoso and Kevin Slowey. Round six and seven of our head-to-head mock draft. We've been talking about this one throughout the offseason, so let's move on. Round six, and the first pick of round six is very interesting. It's Steven Strasburg, followed by Shinsu Chu, Buster Posey, Giovanni Gallardo, Matt Kane, Chase Utley. Paul Canerco, Josh Johnson, taken by Scott. Joe Maurer, Pablo Sandoval, taken by Al. Adam Wainwright, and Josh Beckett. Again, Strasburg, Chu, Posey, Gallardo, Kane, Utley, Canerco, Johnson, Maurer, Sandoval. That's Josh Johnson, by the way. Maurer, Sandoval, Wainwright, and Beckett. Al, best pick and worst pick of round six. Okay, well, you know... I hate to do this because it sounds incredibly conceited, but I, I really liked my pick of Sandoval there. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many question marks in this round. Um, but, you know, that said, probably I like the pick of Giovanni Gallardo uh, even a little better because, uh, you know, that's somebody I think that you can rely upon to be a, a low-end number one, high-end number two starting pitcher. When you look at the other pitchers that were taken at that point, a lot of question marks, a lot of risks, and, and rightly so because you're getting to a point of the starting pitching pool that's got a lot of depth but not necessarily a lot of upside. So to get somebody like Gallardo at that point is, is pretty much of a coup. Okay, and worst pick? Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, just uh, you can di- rip digesting here. I would say... Probably Canerco. 
But let's see. Who's the next? Yeah, you got Hosmer taken in the next round. It's not really a terrible pick. It's just not inspiring. Scott, uh, would you like to be a little meaner? Yeah, they're I'll be no, meaner. Because no, I don't think any of these are, are really bad. You're gonna Chase, you're gonna rip Utley. Chase, you are Utley. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's your worst pick. That, that's my worst pick in round six because I don't think he can hold up for a full season anymore. And he was like a two sixty hitter last year, and at his age, he's uh, he's approaching thirty five. Uh, middle infielder to boot. I think we've seen the beginning of what could be a, a rather steep decline for Utley. I would not want to take a chance on someone like him in round six. I would rather take a chance on one of those high upside arms like a Strasburg or a Josh Johnson, who I did take a chance on, or Adam Wainwright coming back from Tommy John surgery, or even Josh Beckett, who's had injury problems of his own over the last couple of years. What do you think about Strasburg first pick of round six? I think that's about where he's going to go in most drafts. It's not where I would take him. I don't plan on taking him in any leagues because we pretty much know he's not going to pitch any more than 160 innings, and that would mean his season's going to be over in early to mid-August. And that's for a sixth-round pick. I, I don't want a guy who I know I'm only going to get two-thirds of a season out of, or, or maybe a little more than two-thirds. Uh, but that's... Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be great when he's out there, but I'd just I'd rather hope to get a full season out of somebody like Josh Johnson or Adam Wainwright than take the. Good luck getting a full season out of Josh Johnson. Well, you say that, but I have uh, I have my theories on Johnson and what exactly went wrong for him last year, and okay. that was I, I'm I'm optimistic about a bounce back season. I hope you're let, right. Let, hey, the Marlins put all their eggs in 2012's basket. So why would they even care about bringing Josh Johnson back last year? True. That's a good point. Round seven starts out with Jay Bruce, Alex Avila, Tommy Hansen, Daniel Hudson, Starlin Castro, Elvis Andrews, Eric Hosmer, Chris Young, Ricky Romero, Michael Pineda, Matt Latos, and Ryan Howard. Again, Jay Bruce, Alex Avila, Tommy Hansen, Daniel Hudson, Starlin Castro, Elvis Andrews, Eric Hosmer, Chris Young, uh, Ricky Romero, Michael Pineda, Matt Latos, Ryan Howard. Scott, best and worst picks of round seven. Putting me on the spot here. Um, I'm going to say, and, and it looks better now than it did to me at the time, Eric Hosmer in the seventh round. I've seen him go earlier in mock drafts. Best or the worst? It's the best. Okay. I've seen him go earlier in mock drafts since then, and you look at... Uh, this is something I'm going to be writing a lot about over the next month or so. You look at the comparison of, of early round hitters to early round pitchers. Usually I've always been about taking the hitters in the early rounds. There's so many players who are so clearly on the decline or who are injury prone, like a Chase Utley or a Paul Canerco, um, a lot of uninspiring types like that. Eric Hosmer is a guy who is clearly on the rise. He looked like an elite hitter over the last six weeks last year. And he, he looks like one of the safest early round hitters you can find. Now, you could argue, is he really an early round hitter or not? The argument's moot here because the guy got him in round seven. So I, I think if you get a chance to get that, a guy you know is going to be healthy, a guy who clearly looks like he's improving, um, and, and has a chance to be an elite hitter that so many of those people drafted before him won't be because of age or injury risk, uh, I think it's a great pick. 
Worst? Worst pick, I am going to say it is, uh, well, I, I got to say it's Ryan Howard because he's another guy. Really, the whole Phillies offense seems to be on the decline, uh, and then he's dealing with the injury also that could cause him to miss the first month of the season. So I'll say him on a technicality. If you want me just on a pure production just from a pure production standpoint to pick the worst, I would say Chris Young uh, because he, with his low batting average last year, he, he pretty much showed that his 2010 season was was more the aberration than not and is, is really just a middle-of-the-road fantasy option. Al, talk about Michael Pineda going in this round. And Hanson, Hudson, Chris, uh, excuse me, Ricky Romero... Uh, went before him, and then Latos went right after him. So is this a good spot for Pineda? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's a number you know, no, number two pitcher, and I mean, I think that's even enhanced a little bit with the trade to the Yankees. Obviously, this was well before that. But yes. uh, no, that doesn't stand out at all as over-ambitious or, you know, or under-ambitious. Anything we learned from these two rounds, guys? Uh, well, you know, I actually, I think the biggest lesson here is where Wainwright and Josh Johnson go. I actually think there's room for them to go a little bit earlier. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I could see in certain drafts them going later and I just, you know, I think that's a good spot to take them because like I say, somebody like a Giovanni Gallardo probably isn't going to fall that late in a lot of drafts. And, uh, you know, if you drafted Adam Wainwright and he has a setback, you're going to be able to. You know, manipulate your your pitching staff through waivers and trades, and and you're going to be fine. Uh, that's a good place to take that risk. I think uh, too. You we talk, I talked about the the Steven Strasburg, Josh Johnson, Adam Wainwright, Josh Beckett. You can add Tommy Hansen to the list because he went in round seven. These are guys. These are aces for the most part who are falling to the early stages of the middle rounds. If you have a draft in late March, like most fantasy owners do. We've seen these guys some in spring training. They're their same dominant selves. You're going to see them go much, much earlier. I would say as early as the fourth or fifth round. All right. Then let's move on to the emails here. Fantasy baseball at cbsinteractive.com. Please put podcast in the subject line. We'll do our best to read your question on the air. We start with Jason in Lansing, Michigan, who uh, has a little bone to pick with Scott here. I was listening to the January 4th podcast. Couldn't believe what I was hearing when Scott bashed Hunter Pence being taken in the fifth round because his batting average and BABIP seemed unsustainable. He then said he thought Alex Gordon was an excellent pick in the fifth round. When you say that a player's numbers are high, you are basing that on their historical performance, right? Do you really want to argue that Alex Gordon's history is better than Hunter Pence's? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, Jason, let me try to explain, and and I'm sure he's not going to be the first person to pick a bone with me about Hunter Pence this season, because Hunter Pence is a very popular player, and I am quite obviously not high on him. So, Hunter Pence versus Alex Gordon, the difference to me is that Pence has established a track record of what seemed appropriate for his pedigree and his peripherals. Uh... We talked. I, I referred to the Bay Pip in the last podcast. It was 361 for him last year. He's usually in the 300 range, uh, so that's obviously a huge rise for him. He hits, you know, generally in the 270 to 280 range every year. His strikeout rate 
um, is usually more than twice as high as his walk rate. That was this, that was true last year. He actually had equaled a career high with 124 strikeouts last year. So to me, looking at those peripherals, Hunter Pence was the same player as always. He just happened to hit 314 instead of 280. Uh, the difference with Alex Gordon is he was a massive, massive underachiever for the, the early stages of his career. He wasn't the player he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be closer to what he was last year. Um, work with Kevin Seitzer, the hitting coach, helped him tap into that potential. Finally, he completely reconstructed his swing. Uh, he he became a more uh, disciplined hitter and was it, it was... it was what I consider a breakout season for Gordon. Pence... To me, if it was a breakout season for him, we would have seen a gradual... We, we would have seen signs of it before then, or we would have seen some kind of change in his peripherals also. So that's why I see his season as a fluke, while Alex Gordon seems like a legitimate breakout. All right. Thank you, Scott. Hopefully that you, you followed that well <laughs> enough. Yeah, I did. All right. Um, and the other question that Jason has, he's in a 20-team league, 5x5 five five keeper. You can keep up to 10. Um, with no penalty. So if you keep less than 10, you pick in the remaining rounds and then proceed with the remainder of the draft. So he's already named four guys he's keeping, Mezzarocco, Vado, Pence, and Storin. Please let me know who'd you, who you would keep out of the following. So I guess you can keep up to six, six here. Okay. Aaron Hill, Danny Valencia, Yunel Escobar, Peter Borges, Anthony Rizzo, Tyler Skaggs, Jacob Turner, Addison Reed. All right, let me do some math here because I X'd out two names. Danny Valencia, who I don't think is ever going to be more than a, a fringe guy, even a deep format like that. And Addison Reed, just because closers are usually pretty replaceable. Uh, I mean, we don't know how good Reed is, is going to be. Uh, so let's say it leaves six, right? Aaron Hill, Yunel Escobar, Peter Burgess, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Tyler Skaggs, really, really good prospect there. And Turner, also a, a good prospect. But is it worth keeping all of them if he can have right. the draft picks instead? Um, and, and to me, it's it's hard to gauge how valuable prospects are in your league and, unless you're playing in it and can see all the ins and outs of it. But I, none of these strike me as worth keeping if you could get a 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th round pick instead. I mean, I, I don't see any of those players going as early as the 10th round. Maybe Escobar. In a twenty-team league, though. Maybe you know Escobar, um, but that I don't know. Yeah, you, no, you it's, it's the, no, I don't, I don't. And if I had to, you know, throw back any of it, would be the two more experienced guys, Hill and Escobar. You would throw back at Escobar. You wouldn't want. You would not want Escobar. Uh, no, I'd rather if I'm going to keep somebody. I'd rather keep the uh, keep the prospects because I think in and again, it's hard, hard to gauge with a, a deeper league like this. But I think. At that point in the draft, you could probably replace those guys. Matt in Ontario, 14-team, head-to-head category league. We keep six each year. I was planning on keeping Miguel Cabrera, Matt Kemp, Troy Tulowitzki, Hanley Ramirez, Mark Teixeira, and Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, I, I play Hanley and Teixeira at utility. The problem is I'll be going into the draft with no pitching. I have Gallardo and Kennedy I could keep instead, but... Should I drop one of those six batters to keep Gallardo or Kennedy? Um, and again, those six batters are Miguel Cabrera, Kemp, Tulo, Hanley, Teixeira, and Ryan Zimmerman. 
Uh, or will Hanley fetch me a starting pitcher through a trade as good or better than Gallardo slash Kennedy? I think he would. We're seeing from Hanley Ramirez that he's kind of a middle second round pick. And, you know, middle second round, you're talking about Clayton Kershaw territory. So, yeah, I think Hanley Ramirez is worth keeping if for no other reason than that. The one hitter who I might consider giving up for either Gallardo or or Ian Kennedy is Ryan Zimmerman, who has had injury problems over the last couple years. His power, there's still there's some question about that after the year he had last year. Uh, I think I think he's a perfectly satisfactory keeper, but would I rather have Kennedy? I think I would, and uh, I think Al might actually even prefer Gallardo also. Yeah, I think I'd give Kennedy maybe a slight edge over Gallardo. It's very, very close. Um, and I actually think it's really close among the three, Gallardo, Kennedy, Zimmerman, in terms of who would have the most overall value. Um, that's that's tough. I, pro- I think I'd be uncomfortable going into that draft without a pitcher, so I probably would uh, make the Zimmerman for Kennedy swap. I'm trying to read one more email here. Let's go with Bowen from Toronto, Canada. I love your show. I'm an avid listener. This is going to be my first year playing fantasy baseball. I was wondering if you could tell me what league type is better and what differs them from each other, whether it's Roto, head-to-head, or any others. All right, Bowen. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah, You know some people are going to hate you choosing this question. Why? Well, because it's kind of a beginner's question and... Yeah, that's all right. I mean, we've been 37 minutes here I on know. the podcast. We I can know. help out the Bowen, this is the difference. In head-to-head, you are um, – <laughs> well, that was a real quick answer. Okay, in Roto, you're only looking at certain categories, home runs, RBI, stolen bases, batting average, runs scored for hitters, uh, and then five categories for pitchers as well. And that – Obviously, you're emphasizing those categories on draft day and ignoring some of the secondary ones like walks, strikeouts, doubles, triples, which don't have a direct impact on that. Um, Also, you are looking looking to... The main difference here is that head-to-head, you're competing against another opponent in your league every week. Roto, Mm -hmm. you're... What? That's you, a big difference. I, I, don't, big, I, don't, I don't think that's the most important thing. That is thing. the most important thing. You now. both can be right. That's completely the most important Cause, thing. Because the most important thing is, is how you determine how to build your no, team. No, not for a first-time player, okay? Uh, the beginner okay. stuff is— Yeah, I'm with Scott on this. Really? But, but, I mean, you're, no, the beginner stuff is—Roto, I think, is less fun, because, especially for a first-time player, because you don't get the thrill of going up head-to-head against somebody in your league and, you know, and having that competition. Roto is you are compiling your stats throughout the year, and whoever has the most best stats at the end well, of the year wins. In terms so, of what's different, look, you're both right. I think you know if I were going to answer I'm it, right. I would answer it the way that, that Scott did. Well, you're but, both but right. I, but I like the, I, <laughs> no, but I like the subjective question better. Which which one's more fun? Yeah, All right? head so to head's more fun for me. Yeah, head to head's more fun. The head to head competition, and I like games that are closer to mirroring the real game, mm-hmm. and so you have the wider range of stats that you have to pay attention to in head-to-head and in fact he also puts other here there's also simulation leagues which is a a world that scott is uh starting to get into and that i've been been playing for a long long time and uh, those those are fun games too where you can you know manage a team that's it's more you know like like the reality okay and the other thing i would suggest for a first-time player is to play a mixed league 
because yeah. you don't want to have to get into the AL only NL only guys that you might not want to even pay attention to. Uh, and I happen to enjoy very much a head-to-head categories league, which kind of combines Roto mm-hmm. with head-to-head. That was my favorite. That's uh, your favorite? Yes, head-to-head categories. I don't, I, I'm I a points like, guy. I don't, I don't like points I'm a, that I'm much. A points, points is football. For, 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 the reason, for the reason Al mentioned, it's, it's a closer, it's a more accurate reflection of the real game if you're taking into account all those statistics like the doubles, triples, walks, strikeouts, just, et cetera. Here's the problem with the points. When you're sitting there on Sunday in a points league and you know you need like 10 points to beat your opponent or something like that, I think that's less fun than saying I need two home runs, two more home runs. You know well, what I mean? Well, no, because if you need something that specific, yeah, that's you're a, probably going to lose. About it. <laughs> no. Not necessarily. <laughs> no. Right, fine. Well, I see this is a good question. We got, <laughs> got some arguments All right. Going. Yeah. Thanks for steering me on the right track there send us an email at fantasy baseball at cbsinteractive.com and again put podcast in the subject line i assume we'll be back next week we're going to really iron out our uh, off-season plans get going pick it up a little bit more uh, as we get closer and closer to draft time so thanks a lot everybody for al and scott i'm adam we'll talk to you later